Hello everyone, welcome once again to Reason for Hope. We're very glad that you're joining us tonight. Reason for Hope, in case this is your first time, is an hour-long live broadcast which is guided by, for the most part, your questions on the Bible. You can send your questions in through our multiple online platforms, which I'll run over in just a moment. And uh, we will use God's Word, the Bible, to find the answers to those questions. So it could be a, a question on a specific verse that's confused you, or maybe the Bible as a whole, or Christianity itself, maybe other religions, maybe things you see going on in the world you'd like a biblical perspective, maybe even things on a, a personal level that you're going through. You'd like to know what uh, the Bible says about those things. Any question along those lines, as long as uh, it's an honest question, and as long as you know, once again, we're going to use the Bible to find the answers uh, to those questions. That's what we're all about here at A Reason for Hope. So we're very glad that you're joining us and sending in your questions, which guide our show. We never know which way it's going to go because it's guided by your questions. So thank you for those. We appreciate you, the viewer, being part of the show tonight. My name's Dave Robson. I will be uh, monitoring those questions as they come on in, fielding all those uh, platforms and throwing them out here to our wonderful guests. We have um, a button that's pressed wrong. There it is. Uh, <laughs> but we also have... This is, this is an occupational hazard. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. I've got a lot of buttons. You can't see the buttons, but there's a lot of buttons. Uh, and I try not to press any of them, just the ones that I need. But uh, with us as well, past the Scott Richards. Lest we be depressed. Lest we be depressed, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. And off offline. Um, Pastor Scott Richards is with us. He is the senior pastor here at Calvary Christian That's me. Fellowship. You're doing well today? I'm doing great. It's good to see you. Yeah, God good is good. You. Thanks for being here and yep. making yourself available. We also have Pastor Sean Richards, who's scratching his back with a, uh, a cubit. Yes. Stick, yeah. <laughs> How you doing? Did you did you get the itch? Did no, you find it? I was going to hide it and then draw it out slowly as the camera switched to oh, me, but, but that's I, been debailed. I, I caught you. I caught yep. you doing it. Well, yeah, that's, that's our cubit stick. So. Yeah. If you need us to come over and measure anything by cubits, that's right. Thinking about building an ark in your backyard. Yeah, I was. I was thinking about it. Yeah, when the monsoons start. Yeah, maybe we might need that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's about it might what, be valuable. <laughs> it's about eighteen inches. Is that what it is? To be yeah, saying about yeah. eighteen inches. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Look at that. I was. I forgot when I was in England. I was going to have my dad make you one with a, a, you know, the rock and one with a scissors, so you could play rock paper scissors. My dad does like woodwork, and I forgot I was going to do that next year, maybe. Maybe. Anyway, and <laughs> enough of this. In other news. Enough of this banter. <laughs> um, once again, as I mentioned, Reason for Hope is a live broadcast. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. here, Mountain Standard Time. As I mentioned, we're in Tucson, Arizona. But, of course, you can join us all around the world through the wonders of the Internet. This started as a and radio show. <laughs> many do. They do. Uh, it started as a radio show and uh, more recently became uh, more of a live uh, live vlog. Um, so it's, uh, it's very exciting to see the time's moving in technology where we can reach you all around the world. It's an outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson, Arizona. So keep us in mind as uh, you're trying to find us. That will help you out, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. You can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com, and uh, take a look around there. You're welcome to come join us if you're in the Tucson, Arizona area. If you're looking for somewhere to fellowship, we're right near Prince and I-10. So more than welcome to come check us out there. Uh, but if you go to that Watch Live tab on the website, that will take you to our live page. And we are streaming there as we speak. You'll see our live video. You can sign in with a, a username of your choice and then be part of the broadcast through the chat right there. I'll be right there with you receiving your Bible questions. Um, when we're offline, you'll see a, a list of upcoming events and you'll see a countdown to our next event as well. So you can check out our services here at, at uh, CCF and other events that we have coming up as well as a reason for hope. So the direct link, if you type it straight into your um, your browser address bar there, CCF Tucson, 
www.online.church or follow the link from calvarychristianfellowship.com. It takes you to the same place. We're on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash Tucson, or just search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Don't forget to like and share. We'd appreciate that. Uh, that's another way you can send your question in right there in the, uh, the chat box, which is attached to our live video as we are live there right now. And I'll be monitoring those as well as you send in your Bible questions. We have an app as well. If you go to your app store, once again, look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Download our app and you can watch us on your mobile device. And we also have a channel on Roku and Apple TV. So if you have a smart TV or one of those uh, boxes, you can add us as a, a channel in your uh, channel store, Roku and Apple TV. Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson right there. Uh, we're on YouTube, of course. We're live there right now as well. If you look for A Reason for Hope, that's the name of the channel, A Reason for Hope on YouTube. Don't forget, once again, to like and uh, subscribe and click on the notification bell if you'd like, and then you get a little prompt when we're live and you won't have to miss anything. That live tab right there is uh, helpful for you whenever we've been live. It automatically archives there, so if you missed a show or you want to recap, um, and our services are there as well here at CCF. So, um, yeah, check out the live uh, archive. But as I say, we are currently live on YouTube as well, Reason for Hope. And uh, Pastor Scott right here is on Twitter, Scott R4H. That's Scott, letter R, number four, letter H. Uh, he posts fun stuff there. Um, he posts uh, highlighted questions uh, uh, from the show here. And also just commentary on world events and uh, news things and goings on in the world. So much uh, to do with uh, Bible prophecy and end times and that kind of thing. Uh, and also some funnies and shenanigans and tomfoolery so if you're into that kind of thing in that order yeah <laughs> yeah something for everyone yes um so scott arthur h on twitter uh follow along with him uh, we're on rumble as well if you're on that platform a reason for hope bible q a we post videos there so add us there if you're on rumble and last but not least we have an email address of course you can email us anytime questions for hope at gmail.com that's questions for hope spelled out with letters at gmail.com we um have questions come in through that uh, way as well and especially if you listen on the radio just to let you know you're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded um, so we're not live with you so to speak um, so keep that email address in mind questions for hope gmail.com uh, send us that question and we will get to that on our next show we're glad that you're joining us whatever platform you you found us on you are very welcome once again send your bible questions in get them in early if you can and we'll try and parcel out the time to get to as many as we can today here on A Reason for Hope. Well, without any further ado, but if that means, Pastor Scott, would you like to pray for us? I would love to. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to be able to explore your word together. And Lord, we thank you for each and every person that's logging in and uh, joining us or listening to us on the radio. Uh, what a privilege it is that uh, when we seek your truth, we're going to find it. You tell us, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and without reproach, and it shall be given to them. Lord, you are far more interested in us understanding this world from your point of view than we are in even receiving it. So, Lord, as we answer questions, as we explore issues, as uh, we even see how your word can practically make uh, amazing changes within our lives, I pray that you would be free to work upon us to uh, cause this to be an opportunity, not just for those who know you to draw closer to you, but maybe those who are on the outside uh, looking in at a relationship with you, that they would uh, cross that line, put that their trust and their faith 
in Jesus and uh, know you in a personal way. Thank you, Lord, that we have the possibility of seeing that happen each and every day as your word goes forth. Uh, may you use it according to your wisdom, according to your plan. Thank you that we could be some small part of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen indeed. Thank you. Well, Scott, sometimes you give us a bit of an update on something going on in the world or prophecy update. Is there anything you want to Yeah, uh, something to uh, definitely pay attention to. A couple things happening in Israel right now. Uh, if you've been following the news, you know that the uh, massive protests, including the shutdown of uh, Ben Gurion Airport, uh, have returned as uh, the judicial reform bill is going through uh, the Israeli Knesset right now. The, the main essence of this judicial reform bill is to remove from the judicial branch of Israel's government a provision uh, called the Reasonableness Clause. Uh, in other words, if the Knesset passes a law, uh, the judiciary has had the right in the past uh, not to reject the law because it's against the Israeli Constitution, not because it's against legal precedent, but because in the opinion of the judge, it just is not reasonable, uh, which is a very elastic, very subjective standard. And so a big part of the judicial reform that we are seeing going on in Israel and a big reason why uh, there are these protests going on is uh, because uh, much like uh, some of the protests that we saw a couple of years ago in the United States are very well organized, very well funded. Uh, and uh, again, uh, it does seem that there are some uh, even international interests that uh, aren't uh, too uh, keen on seeing uh, basically as close to democracy as you're going to get, the rule of the, the Knesset uh, guiding Israeli affairs. Uh, instead, they like to have judges uh, be able to rule, uh, I guess the term would be by fiat, by which uh, side of the bed they got up on the morning, whether they uh, feel something uh, offends their sensibilities or not, without any kind of legal recourse. And so uh, because this uh, first reading of this law has gone through the Knesset and is on its way to a vote, uh, boom, you see these protests coming up. Mm. Well, you know, again, in a participatory form of uh, Republican democracy, uh, the people have the right to be able to express themselves in the street. However, when this happens in a nation like Israel, the surrounding enemies of Israel have an interesting way of paying attention. One of the most significant enemies of Israel has been quiet for quite some time is the uh, wholly owned subsidiary of the Mad Mullahs in Tehran that uh, is uh, doing basically whatever it wants in the country of Lebanon. Uh, Lebanon uh, used to be under French control uh, during that time. It was considered uh, the, uh, the uh, Riviera of the Eastern Mediterranean. It was considered to be one of the great tourist spots to go to. It's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. But uh, when the, uh, the balance of government which was to include Muslims, secularists, and uh, Maronite Christians. Uh, when that broke down and was pretty much subsumed by uh, Iranian-leading uh, Muslims, uh, well, uh, all H-E double hockey sticks broke out in Lebanon, long-term civil war. Uh, you go to Beirut now, and this uh, place that used to look like Nice, France, is just uh, bombed out shell of itself. Mm. Uh, so. Uh, the uh, the main 
head honcho in Lebanon over Hezbollah, is a fellow by uh, the name of Hassan Nasrallah. Uh, and uh, Iran has uh, very carefully and meticulously uh, supplied Hassan Nasrallah and his Hezbollah terrorists uh, with uh, well over 150,000 rockets, many of them uh, very uh, sophisticated rockets that can be guided, uh, can uh, be used to perhaps even thwart uh, the Iron Dome defenses of, of Israel. And so uh, kind of like a boiling pot with a heavy lid on it, uh, you know, we've seen Gaza, we've seen uh, things going on with Islamic Jihad and Israel, but uh, the, uh, the, the real uh, power brokers in the region, Hezbollah, has uh, sort of kept their cards themselves. Uh, but that looks like it may, in fact, be changing. There's been a couple of things that have happened on uh, the uh, Israeli-Lebanese uh, former relationship. A really fascinating article in the Jerusalem Post talks about how uh, when Israel uh, discovered massive tracts of natural gas off of its coast, uh, the Hezbollah-dominated government in Lebanon said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, we want a piece of that. And Israel's first response was, well, it's not in your territory. Well, Hezbollah responded by saying, well, if you don't give us part of these natural gas tracts uh, for uh, the uh, benefit of Lebanon, uh, we're going to go to war. And Israel basically backed off and, and acceded uh, to Hezbollah's uh, demands. Well, I guess it was uh, Winston Churchill, I believe, who was uh, once famously quoted as saying that appeasement is, con uh, is continually uh, feeding the uh, crocodile and hoping that it, uh, uh, its uh, appetite satisfied before it gets to you. Uh, this is basically what's happened. And now we're seeing on the Israeli border a couple of very interesting provocative moves on the part of Hezbollah. They have set up a tent city inside the accepted borders uh, between Israel and Lebanon on Israeli territory. Uh, that is armed by Hezbollah officials. Now, uh, there is supposed to be a United Nations peacekeeping force that is supposed to enforce the terms of the last ceasefire between Israel and Lebanon. Well, you can imagine just how effective they've been by seeing this tent city of uh, uh, Lebanese Hezbollah troops setting up operations within Israel. Israel has not been too keen about taking out this tent city. Uh, wanting to, in a sense, uh, go the route of negotiations to be able to deal with it before something that could, uh, well, like the fuse of a larger regional conflict goes on, like Israel basically bombing these people back uh, across the border. So uh, what we're taking a look at right now is uh, we're seeing these sort of things. We are seeing uh, Lebanon trying to redraw its map with Israel in the north, uh, with uh, the idea of saying, well, you let us do this or we're going to war with you. And uh, because Israel is in the midst of this conflict internally regarding judicial reform, uh, this is one of those, boy, let's strike while the iron's hot kind of uh, things that is going on here. Uh, the recent moves uh, by Hezbollah, this is the article from the Jerusalem Post, uh, sums up in this way, have major ramifications for Israel and the region. It shows the campaign between the wars may have been an important focus for Israel, but that Hezbollah can now move its pawns in the shape of tents and demands closer to Israel. This is part of Iran's overall goal to unify fronts against Israel in the region and force Israel to focus on problems closer to the northern border 
and Janine. Now, what uh, the mad mullahs in Tehran are convinced of, it's not that they care about Hezbollah, not they care about Lebanon. Uh, they do care, however, that Israel is distracted and can't take out, say, uh, their nuclear facilities and so on. Mm. Uh, and so uh, what I, I believe we're seeing here, and our good uh, friend Amir Sarfati uh, in his uh, weekly update also concurs with all of this, uh, that terrorists are continually, this is Amir's words, continually antagonizing Israel along the border, seeking to draw Jerusalem into a shooting war. We're now at a place where the best option may be to give them what they want. At least if Israel launches hostilities, they will be able to do it in their time and in their way rather than be in a reactive position. So all of this is to say that uh, we may see probably within a month or so a, a major war between Lebanon and Israel breaking out mm. uh, because uh, they're going to definitely want to seize the opportunity to attack Israel while this internal conflict is going on. Once this bill passes and is uh, put into law, uh, the uh, protests are going to die down. Uh, one thing that I think they underestimate is the fact that uh, when uh, Islamic Jihad tried to do the same thing uh, from their bases in Gaza, all that did was galvanize uh, you know, Israeli loyalty with one another. They put aside the protests. They said, we've got bigger fish to fry. Uh, if Hezbollah tries to do something like this, I think it's going to be another example of a bridge too far overplaying their hand. And uh, there is going to be a, uh, a major conflict there. That is not to say that Israel will not be harmed or hurt by all of this. Obviously, innocent civilians in harm's way uh, always end up being the victims in this set of circumstances. But uh, definitely something to pray about. Pray for the leadership in Israel. Pray that the United States stands firm as an ally of uh, Israel under these very trying uh, circumstances that are going on right mm -hmm. now, but uh, Hezbollah and uh, and uh, its uh, uh, basic owners in Tehran, I think, are very close to making a move. Wow, wow. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Certainly, calls for prayer, continued prayer. Thank you, Pastor Scott. You're welcome. Yeah, we have uh, questions coming in already. If you guys are ready to to uh, jump into those, yeah. A uh, question from anonymous. That's a beautiful name. Uh, that was a joke. And he's back. <laughs> and he's, yeah, and he for sure. Um, is fasting limited to food only? Someone said they searched the scriptures and said it means to abstain from food only. So can we fast from other things or should it just be from food? Yeah, it's a tricky issue for some people because usually when fasting is brought up in scripture, it includes that specification, the withholding of all food. They usually would go to Esther uh, chapter 4 and verse 16 where she requests of her cousin Mordecai to uh, assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Then she specifies, do not eat or drink for three days, night and day. Mm. And this was in dedication to that. But I think the best counterbalance to this in saying that Esther, or excuse me, Esther, had to note that, not eating food or drink. There are other examples of withholding certain kinds of foods in order to accomplish Yeah, Daniel chapter 10 especially, uh, yeah. says, uh, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. Uh, the message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. 
So the withholding in that case was of certain kinds of right. foods. And right. if you note, say, for instance, the uh, Psalms in mentioning fast, the prophet saying, when you consecrate a fast, did you really do it for me? It's just any practice where you make studying or the focus of the Word of God more than a certain activity, usually food, but not exclusively. Sometimes it's withholding of certain drinks like wine. Sometimes it's withholding of certain uh, the. Uh, feast of uh, unleavened bread is a fast of sorts from yeast, but it is still a time where you're eating. Or in Daniel's case, it doesn't seem like he anointed himself at all. In other words, he didn't use any kind of uh, uh, cosmetics or anything like that that could, uh, say, offset the effects of living in a dry climate. So my fasting from showers is now justified, but the <laughs> point being made is this. Not really. The point being made is that, though. Uh, it can apply to other things, but the purpose of fasting is what's important, not the object of it. Am I withholding food? Well, all you're going to get out of that is hungry. Am I replacing food or drink or, dare I say it, time on the phone, time on the Internet, time in a certain recreational activity? Am I withholding something I would normally do at this time and replacing that with pursuit of my relationship with God, time in a Bible study, time of prayer, time of fill in the blank, but focusing on replacing it with time with God? That's a fast, not no to the flesh, it's pursuit of the Spirit instead. If that's done through food, that's a good way to do it. You uh, let yourself get a little hungry. Mm -hmm. It can refreshen up your brain cells to focus on other things, just not for too long. Mm -hmm. But if, on the other hand, you're saying, no, the only way to fast is just to not eat. So I'm just going to you know, sit in a corner and grumble in my tummy, and then I'll feel holy. Not the point. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Anything to add? No? No, I think, yeah. that, I think that sums it all up. It's really the, the fasting is really about the heart, not about the stomach. Yeah. Sometimes we just focus in on that. And uh, you know, I've seen some people get so into this idea of, oh, I got to fast and, and all of this. They, they lose what Jesus told us to do, not to let anybody else know that you're fasting. You just do it between right. your Heavenly Father and yourself. It was such a sad example of this. Uh, I was at a, a Bible study, and this one guy there was like, oh, man, you know, and it was right after Thanksgiving. He goes, it was just so rough. You know, I decided to do this 40-day Jesus fast. And uh, I forgot to check the calendar, and it was over Thanksgiving. So, you know, everybody else was eating turkey and all this other great food. And, you know, there I was with my little juice cup and, and all this. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> why did you tell me? Yeah. <laughs> you've, you've been paid in full. Right. I think you're really a, a marvelous paragon of self-discipline mm -hmm. and virtue. But as far as impressing God, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's between them and the Lord. Right. That's right. Yeah. So. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thank you for that question. Um, and from anonymous, I know who you are, but I hope that <laughs> hope that helped you out. A uh, question from uh, Dwayne. I have a question. Is it okay to do research on gods that were worshipped before uh, biblical times? And is it okay to make art with them, like movies and TV shows? I find that time interesting, and I like to do that. So. Well, that's a something. problem. I'm in trouble. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, I think you're uniquely qualified to be able to talk about this. Give you a little bit of your background before you uh, bring the Bible to bear on this. Yeah, um, yeah, in terms of doing research about them, I've had uh, not necessarily the unfortunate, but the opportunity to engage with pagans of various stripes. And because I want to be respectful in my engagement with them and pointing them to the gospel, I've taken the time to see where they're coming from as far as their view of what God is. And they would generally go to the writings of ancient cultures. Me reading that 
first of all, treating it the same way that I would with the Bible shows a definite disparity between the two and gives me more reasons to trust the Bible than the sparse little poems that they depend on for their understanding of theology. Most pagans today don't even use things like the Theogony, the Edis, or the Book of the Dead to determine the nature of their gods, what they are or aren't like. It's all based on experience or feelings. So if you think that it's going to convert you to a religion, people who follow those religions don't even think that. So that's a first clarification. The second thing is that when you're and this is in the terms of art and so forth, uh, using these expressions of ancient, not necessarily even idolatry, but just personifications of nature and what was utilized as a justification for a bad habit, you're seeing the same expressions of culture that we would today in Spider-Man, uh, a paragon, if you will, something that would embody something we'd all like to do. If we were given power, would we utilize it responsibly and so forth? The uh, quirkiness of his uh, kid-like demeanor, but also the seriousness of the fact he comes face to face with some very dark things. It's all the same themes. Egyptian culture largely centered itself around the Nile River, the dead, and the veneration of those who have passed on. And so you see that a lot of their deities, a lot of their culture, a lot of their art reflected that, and usually the characters who played roles in these things were the gods. So if, for example, I'm asked to make an art piece of set, right, the God of the dead. I, I don't think of it any more or less impactful to my spiritual life, or theirs for that matter, than if I was to, um, you know, uh, what would be an apt comparison, make a, uh, a, a hairless cat for someone who uh, had a, a household pet, or to buy a miniature for a game that uh, was set in the Mummy series with Brendan Fraser. So that's really what matters most, is the heart that you bring to it. I was talking to a pagan, and they said, uh, you know, I really like your uh, sculpting there. Could you make me an icon of my patron deity? I might use that as a lengthier conversation rather than cultivate the spiritual sensibilities, but here's the point. When we're doing research or discussing other beliefs and faiths, a lot of my research right now is going into Islam. It isn't because I plan on converting or because I think there's anything compelling there, just the opposite. I love Muslims enough to want to meet them on their terms. That's the heart that I bring to it. So if in the same way you're using art, like I would use in communication and debate, or even in other art sculptures and so forth, with the heart of saying, I want to engage with people. I want to contend earnestly for the faith. I want to meet people on their terms and say, here's where, when, and why I was given reason to believe in Jesus. Now, here's where, when, and why your gods presented themselves. Here's where, if those are the things that you're looking for, my God did the same thing. Would you look more into him? I had a debate, for instance, with a, a Swedish pagan who, what, not the band name, by the way, but the actual person, uh, who was a avowed white supremacist. We had a debate on whether Europeans should worship a Jew. I had an end because I was also white, but the idea was that. And he was incredibly easy to talk to, not just because we shared uh, melanin in our skin, but because I got the chance to hear how he approached the concept of God and then met them on those terms. Mm -hmm. If I isolated myself completely from anyone's way of thinking or anyone else's approach to life, I neglected a ministry. But this is the point. If you have a ministry, if you have a calling, if God's leading your heart in this sort of direction to use your talents, whether it's in speaking, whether it's in debate, whether it's in art, whether it's in writing, use it 
for the purpose of the glory of God, to show that he is more weighty in these ways. Because if you are familiar with at least the more uh, dated iterations of the Thor movies, that portrayal of Thor in the, at least the first three Chris Hemworth movies was only Thor in Norse paganism by name. Mm. Everything that he did that was virtuous in any slight suggestion was because it was directly taken out of the Bible. Mm. And uh, that, I think, is a good way to engage with people because they know the Chris Hemsworth character. They might know a bit about Jesus. I can bridge the gap. But if you're then going to go, okay, so when uh, Thor cross-dressed Looney Tunes style in order to get his hammer back from the giants and uh, they had to lay it on his lap in order to bless it with fertility, that's when they found out that he was in fact a guy. What are the implications of uh, having the uh, star-forged hammer way down on his uh, unmentionables? And, and you're just going, I don't know how that would ever fit into Marvel. And it doesn't, because that's just not art. That's just our ancestors having a good time. <laughs> but that's the point. Make sure that you bring the right heart to it. Redeem it as something more than just a effigy in of itself. And if the person receiving it is going to receive it the proper way, make sure they understand your heart as well. Then I think you're doing fine. Very good. Yeah, how about, I mean, talking about other gods, what about our God, the God of the Bible, making graven images? Isn't that something that's forbidden if somebody made, I mean, it's, I'm not sure always. someone's asked you to make a, a Jesus sculpture out of foil. Is that a Well, first of all, not always. Um, there were two graven images of cherubim on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. Which were you, intended for what? You were not supposed to bow down and worship those images. Mm. Uh, there was a graven image when uh, the fiery uh, fire adder plague uh, struck the people of Israel. Uh, they made an image of the snake, put it up on a pole. Anybody who looked at the snake uh, was uh, able to be healed. God honored that. Jesus mm -hmm. even said it was a type or a picture of his sacrifice for our sins, delivering us from death. Mm -hmm. However, in the interim, uh, the people of Israel started worshiping it as a God of health or a God of healing, mm -hmm. bowing down and worshiping it. And uh, I think it was King Hezekiah who smashed it in pieces and called it Nehushtan, which means a worthless piece of bronze. Mm -hmm. uh, really strong in Hebrew, by the way. I'm giving right. the PG version uh, <laughs> of all of that. Uh, very upset about what had happened with mm. all of this. So it's not the carving of a graven image or using art, art to portray a spiritual uh, concept that's the issue. It's do you start worshiping that? And I think, mm. uh, you know, the all the hoo-ha that goes on about the chosen yeah. and all of this, you know, should you portray Jesus? on TV, isn't that by definition less than Jesus? Um, well, a couple things about that or people that portray Jesus. Uh, there was a guy who uh, came up with uh, what he called the Jesus Christ radio program, where he would mm. come on on Sunday mornings, say he was Jesus and answer people's questions. Um, you know, and he- I'd be he was, sweating. <laughs> well, he was a seminary guy too and, yeah. and all this, but for a seminary guy, I found that oftentimes he'd get scriptures wrong uh, oftentimes his theology was a little twisty, uh, you know, it was just, you know, I listened to it kind of for amusement's sake uh, a couple of times, but it was really, really bad. Uh, there are some who will say that uh, the Jesus as portrayed in The Chosen is not biblical, says and does things that the biblical Jesus would not do mm. or say. And, and so, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, it just encouraged me to think about the Lord and all that stuff. I'm just not really into all the minutiae. Well, maybe you should be a little bit more aware of the minutia, 
But the fact that you have a movie presentation of the person of Jesus in and of itself, I don't think is necessarily disqualifying. Having said that, how interesting it is that in the four eyewitness accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, mm. there is no drawing of Jesus associated with any uh, of the early manuscripts. Mm. There is no physical description mm. of Jesus. And the Bible's all over describing people. For instance, uh, we're told that David was a redhead. Mm. Uh, he was a ginger, believe yeah. it or not. Uh, you know, and uh, well-built and so on. No description whatsoever of Jesus. Why? Mm because they realized that Jesus was God in human flesh as thoroughgoing Hebrews. They didn't want to violate the commandment of uh, making a graven image or hmm. causing people to bow down uh, towards the idea of the physical image of Jesus. It was who he is as God in human flesh that really matters, not whether he was five foot 10 or, you know, again, right. hair color, you know, uh, you know, was he, was he buffed out because he worked in a carpenter shop? You hear all these speculations, but it's never there in the scripture. Mm. So I think that's probably a good indicator that we should tread really, really lightly yeah. in this area. Mm. And, uh, you know, really be careful if, you know, say for instance, you know, when you're praying and you're talking to Jesus, you know, you start talking an image of some portrait of Jesus or some uh, portrayal of Jesus that you've seen on yep. screen. He's greater than all of that. Right. So Ewan McGregor does have a resemblance when he's dressed as Obi-Wan, but that's not him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're pretty close. Yeah. But now, yeah, and again, you can go to even better comparisons. Uh, Jim Caviezel and the Passion of the Christ, it was good. It mm -hmm. wasn't perfect, but it was good as far as yeah. artistic yeah. representation goes. And the heart was to what? Present the crucifixion of Jesus, and they did a good job at that. Mm. Uh, Jefferson Moore, the Stranger series, by far the most accurate portrayal of Jesus in character that I've ever seen on screen. But no, was it perfect? No. Is that uh, replacement for the Bible? Also no. But the goal was, the heart was, the art's purpose was, the artist's purpose was. That's what you need to ask. And if it's involving these other names, uh, just consider it an in. But if, on the other hand, people can't get past that, then we go to the Nehushtan issue. Make sure that that's not uh, what they take away. And well, calls for subtlety. When you look at C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, oh, he mentions mm -hmm. witches. He made the intent clear. <laughs> that's yeah. the point. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, great question, Dwayne. Hope that helps you out. We had a good discussion and ran with that. Very good. Thank you for being part of the show. A uh, question from David. Would you please discuss the parable of the wedding feast from Matthew 22? I just feel like I don't fully understand the different components of the parable, especially the guy who is in the wedding but doesn't have the proper clothing. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Well, let yeah. me uh, read it. It says, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. And he set out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they all made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants and treated them spitefully and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready. Those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. 
So those servants went out to the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guests, he saw a man who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servant, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So, you know, when we see a parable like this, Sean, what is one of the guiding principles that can keep us from getting lost in the weeds in a parable of this kind? Speaking as cautiously as possible, focus on the punchline. Yeah, and, and, and when we, we deal with parables, sometimes people will build whole doctrines off of details that are included in parables. Mm. Uh, that, to me, is a little dicey because parables had one major point. Mm. And the main point Jesus gives very clearly about this, many are called, few are chosen. Now, how do you find out if you're called? or not chosen well the response to the invitation right uh some people heard it and they made light of it uh, for someone to put on a wedding feast at that time that was like the social event of the season of the year uh, and mm. for the couple that was going to get involved it was the uh the uh the uh, most honorific thing that you could do with your entire life you would remember this for the rest of your life uh the disrespect that is viewed here uh, of this high privilege that was uh, given this fellow putting on all of these details of, of the wedding feast and uh, these people first making light of it um, some of the other parallel accounts of Jesus telling this parable says well you know uh, I bought some ox I got to try them out ox and I got to try them out uh, you know I can't come and they, they all came up with excuses and reasons why they had something more important going on in their lives than responding to this wedding feast, none of which, by the way, were so time intensive that they couldn't have put it off. Uh, when the, uh, the master of ceremonies, the father of the bride and, and groom, brings uh, everybody in, you know, it's this idea that those who were first invited showed themselves unworthy. Uh, as far as being worthy, uh, the only thing that made people worthy to be a part of this was they were willing to come. Now, the part about the not wearing the wedding garment, well, when you would put on a wedding feast like that and you would make this kind of cattle call to the entire village, come one, come all, if someone was too poor or did not have a wedding garment, one would be provided for them. That's why the guy's speechless when he says, why aren't you wearing a wedding garment? To not wear a wedding garment in that culture was a diss of the highest order. He's a crasher. Yeah. So uh, the, the bottom line is this guy, even though the gates were wide open, this guy was just as much not in relationship to the father who puts on the feast and honoring the wedding as those that uh, basically blew it off or even killed the servants of this man when he came with that particular message. So, you know, once again, what Jesus is emphasizing there is who's in, who's out. Many are called, few are chosen. How do you know you're chosen? You respond with gratitude to the offer of being a part of uh, this wedding feast, which is a picture of uh, the joy we're gonna have in heaven. If you've got other things that are too important for you, 
to deal with your spiritual issues? Well, uh, if you uh, treat shamefully and despitefully those who just want to reach out to you with this message of love and celebration, well, tells me about something. If even you're associated with those who are you know, responding to this, but you can't be bothered to pay uh, proper respect to the grace that is given to you in all of this, well, you've told me whether you're called or chosen or not. Right. Uh, you, right. you basically reveal that by your response to the invitation, and it's yep. never been thus. Um, you know, we, we have a saying around here. Uh, every time you read the Bible, the Bible's reading you. Mm. Every time you hear an invitation to receive Jesus, uh, we think we're judging Jesus, but really, in a sense, Jesus is judging us yeah. based upon our response. Right. So that's what that parable is all about. That's right. Great. Good stuff. David, thank you for that question. Hope that clears that up for you. Thanks so much for your question today. A uh, question from uh, Mac D. Could the rich man in Mark 10, 20 have made it to heaven? Is the point without Jesus or knowing him, we won't see the kingdom? Mark 10, 27. So the rich yes. man. <laughs> yeah, that was the, the point of the conversation. Uh, rich man, for those of you who don't know the account, it's in all the synoptic gospels. Uh, some people are rumored it was Paul in his youth. I think he would have mentioned that in his letters. But take for what you will, a guy with good prominence, good background, uh, even a good spiritual reputation, says that I've kept all the commandments as far as my fellow man are concerned since I was morally responsible to keep them from my youth is referencing his bar mitzvah. So when we're talking about this guy, uh, he mentions, you said in verse 20, and he's kept all these things from his youth, but the point of emphasis is that no one by keeping the law is justified. We can go to many passages to cite that, but we'll just go for the direct quotation. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. This is from the book of Romans. So if that's then the case, this guy is given the laws, his credentials, and reasons to be worthy of the kingdom of heaven, and what does Jesus do? He shows him that there is, in fact, a violation of commandments. He, let's just assume, kept the last six for the time he was morally responsible to keep them, but the first four. In fact, let's just do the first one. <laughs> you shall not have any other gods before me. What was his God? It wasn't the God of Israel. It was his riches. And we saw that when there was a barrier between him and Jesus that involved him removing his riches. It wasn't to say that every Christian has to take a vow of poverty. It was to note this guy felt his material wealth, his power on this earth was more important to him than what was happening in the next life, the Matthew 6 principle. Your treasure is in heaven, where your treasure is, there, your heart will be also. So when this guy walks away sorrowful, for he has many riches, that's the point of emphasis. Who then can be saved? Culturally, they thought, if you have riches, if you have reputation, if you have the right background, by the name of Hashem, you were Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> you were as close to heaven as you could possibly be. But Jesus shows that the guy that they culturally thought was most qualified for heaven willingly walked away when Jesus got to the heart of the matter. So the disciples are just throwing their hands up going, Hoxpa, who can be saved? And Jesus says, with men, verse 27, this is impossible. What's the point of emphasis there? Our efforts, our reputation, what we have to offer, our obedience of the law. But with God, all things are possible. And what does he then go on to prove that with? Well, you could note Peter goes on to say, 
we have left all and followed you. We're not like the rich guy, right? We have you. We're with God, not with men in this case. And Jesus goes on to say, and you'll be rewarded for that. But the point was, the punchline was, you have God's way to God, and you have man's way to whatever he thinks is God. The rich young ruler had a way to his God, and that was more money. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's how we handle that passage. Yeah. Uh, The other thing that I think is really interesting in this, and it's really uh, very uniquely rendered in the parallel account in the book of Luke, chapter 18, where Jesus, when uh, he saw this, he became very sorrowful. The guy walked away sorrowful, for he was very rich. In other words, Jesus was broken about this, not like, oh, look at this guy, he's a money grubber or something like that. He was broken over that. He said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God, for it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those herders said, who then can be saved? And then he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Now, the, the interesting thing about all of this is that uh, I've, I've just seen people do handsprings trying to minimize what Jesus said about uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard sermons where they say, well, you see in Jerusalem, there's this place called the Needle Gate. And it was really, really narrow. And if you were gonna bring a camel loaded with supplies in, you had to take all the supplies off the camel, push it through the needle gate first, and then the camel could kind of squeeze its way through. Really, really hard. You gotta give up all your stuff, put it off for the camel, but you can get in. Mm. Only one uh, major problem, that there, there's no such thing as the needle gate. Mm. Uh, doesn't exist, mm. never did. So. Uh, interestingly, Luke, who was a doctor by trade, uses a very interesting word when he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. He uses the technical term for a surgeon's suturing needle. Mm. In other words, you can't, you know, hand wave this. You yeah. can't say, well, he can't mean what he's clear. What, what Jesus is saying is, humanly speaking, no one is going to be saved. Yeah. Uh, you know, and if you don't believe that's true, read Romans chapter 3, you know, uh, just how interesting. It says that we've all together become unprofitable, uh, speaking of human beings. The word unprofitable was a word that was used to describe spilled milk, or spoiled milk. And, you know, having been a bachelor at one time in my life, and uh, not really being all that conversant with the expiration dates, I've had one or two encounters with spoiled milk. And boy, you open up that carton and you give it a, a sniff and like, whoa, you know. Yeah. One thing I'll tell you about spoiled milk, you can't unspoil it. Right. It's impossible for you to go, okay, here's my bowl of Fruit Loops. I dump this out, clear liquid, and then this glop of sour cream looking like <laughs> stuff fell on top of it. Um, I think we can work with it. <laughs> stir you know, it up. Stir it up. I think yeah. we can stir it up. Microwave. I, I think we can put some, you know, cinnamon on it or something. It's gonna be, <laughs> no, you, you, it's done. It's over. And, and that's what the Bible says. In order for us to be saved, we don't need to get our life together. We need a brand new life. Right. That, that's the bottom line. And to get a brand new life, uh, that is an impossible thing for us as human beings, no matter how hard we try. Right no matter how many protestations we might say, but look at all the wonderful things I've done. Okay, well, look at all the awful things you've done. Hmm. You know, we're not even talking about your heart and your thoughts and all of the stuff which are you know, open to the eyes of God. You know, that's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you gotta be born again. 
you, you, you've got to be born from above. God wants to give you a brand new life, not a brand new religion. He wants to give you a brand new heart. He wants to give you a brand new soul. He wants to cause you to be made new from the inside out. And uh, any other way, uh, no matter how ardently uh, pursued, is just as silly as trying to get that camel's head through the eye of that needle. And I'm sure if we push hard enough, we can. Yeah. Ain't happening. Right. Because it, when we buy into that, we say, oh, but what about other religions and these individuals who are so uh, dedicated to them? Well, when we do that, we're falling into the trap of evaluating the heavenly by the horizontal. Mm. You know, I look in the pews or, you know, I think, well, you know, I'm more godly than that other guy. I'm sure if God grades on the curve, I'll be all right. God doesn't grade on the curve. Mm. There's only perfect people in heaven. Yeah. Uh, you can either present your life to God and say, here's my perfect life. Good luck. Or you can receive by faith God's forgiveness, the very righteousness of Jesus that gives us a perfect life. And that's what separates Christianity from any other religion or ism you ever want to name. All the other religions of this world say, you get your act together and God will accept you, mm -hmm. however they define God and so on. You do this and this and this, achieve this state of consciousness, uh, do this meritorious service, go on this pilgrimage, and God will accept you. Uh, Christianity goes, no, you can't make up for your, uh, your sins and your, your misdeeds. You don't need another righteous deed. Uh, you need a resuscitation. You need a brand new life. Without Jesus, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. But praise God, he came to give us life and life more abundantly. So our choice. Yeah, very good. Good stuff. Mac D, thank you for that question. Hope that helps you out. You walk with the Lord there. Um, Yari was asking about uh, our thoughts on the sound of freedom movie but we haven't seen it right am i right in saying i i have not seen it. i've seen the no. previews um yeah i'm going to see it a week from today yeah so our thoughts are that we will talk about it next week i guess yeah <laughs> but it does deal with a a very huge issue uh, about uh, sex trafficking right. especially of children uh you know the it's very interesting to me uh and i'll just throw this out and we can discuss it in terms of the movie later that uh, a movie that would talk about all of this is catching such flack uh, in the press. Mm. You would think that any normal, decent, feeling, compassionate human being would say, wow, this is a discussion we really need to have. And it's based yeah. on a true story. Mm -hmm. um, you know, why uh, this pushback on all of this? Well, because they're profiting from it. <laughs> so anyway after we see the movie we'll be able to tell you more yeah yeah we'll jump skin next week yeah, easy way to spot the sex trafficker today yeah yeah i guess so well uh, let's see time for one more question here maybe more uh question from henry uh why aren't dinosaurs in the fossil record eating meat before the flood where's the evidence in the fossil record of a t-rex eating plants before the flood if it exists why don't modern scientists talk about it also did animals eat plants before the flood where's a fossil record of a vegan diet uh, it shows T-Rex eating an animal. If everything lived at the same time, why don't we see it in the fossil record, a human fossil with an extinct ape um, they say we evolved from? Okay, a uh, few things to correct there. Um, first of all, if you want to get a proper grasp of the fossil record, its purpose, and what we can actually glean from it, I recommend uh, Answers in Genesis and their paleontology section, uh, or pale 
paleontology is yeah. Yeah. okay study of fossils yeah, yeah that's it but, but um, i'm like paleo is the short anyway <laughs> the paleo diet anyway when we're talking about the idea of the fossil record there's very very little that we can actually glean from bone structures in terms of diet when people are arguing that before the flood we only ate plants and that after the flood we ate meat that's taken from after the flood in genesis chapter 9 where it notes after at the time of the Garden of Eden, herbs and plants, these things are food for you. Then nine, it will be note that uh, you shall drain the life from its blood, not eat an animal with its blood, for the life is in the blood. And then these instructions are given. The, it's then implied that meat going forward would be for that purpose, for food. And it wasn't until that point. And, it is, And, and, and uh, so I don't forget this one point that I'd like to make about that, saying, well, no one ate meat before uh, Noah landed on the ark. How do you know that? Yeah, that's a big uh, inference. You know, in Genesis chapter 6, we are told that the thoughts and intents of man's heart was only evil continually. If God said, no, I don't want you to kill and eat animals, uh, I would think that people that were described in that way, the first thing is, like, well, we'll see about that. Yeah. So, But yeah. Um, point of emphasis, too, when we're looking at what we can glean from the fossil record, this is just a brief, brief overview. Hear it from people who are actually studying in this field. To suggest a vegan diet, generally they would say, well, if they didn't eat enough protein, you would see more brittle bone structure, this poor source of calcium and all these sort of things. Their uh, children would be a lot more frail and smaller because the mothers wouldn't have the ample nutrition we have today. But just like with the issue of we didn't eat meat before the fall, not that we shouldn't have, but we didn't, that's another big assumption because, first of all, we can't glean a scientific analysis of what a pre fall or a pre-flood even bone Post structure fall, yeah but pre-flood yeah, yeah. pre-flood yeah. bone structure and the way that the world's ecosystem works how we process nutrients that close to a perfect genome there's so much that you have to read into the text before you can even start the equation that no math professor is going to accept your work because you literally made the equation up right. offhand when it comes to the variables we have to work with we can learn two things first of all we do see fossil records of very very large plant life asparaguses that are just hollowed out as thick as trees right mm -hmm. and that would suggest that there was a time before the ice age at least we can note that in relation to the flood but let's use the secular terms where you have uh, a lot denser atmosphere and oxygen that we would be processing things in not necessarily a different kind of world but a world where our bodies would be functioning somewhat differently than they are today but after the flood we saw a third of the atmosphere collapsed in on itself so let's just note that a second thing is that when we're uh, describing, you know, what we can take away from the fossil record, there's so much nonsense that gets thrown out there. And just because they have a doctorate in front of their name, you're supposed to take their word for it. What we can learn from these bone structures is a general idea, not, an, not a sure fact, but a general idea based right. on where the bones are of what time period that they're in and you have to be careful with the assumptions you make into what determined that time period and secondly sometimes the sort of activities they would have been involved with at that time for example we do have evidence of bone cancer in fossils because you actually have the bones we have evidence of some things in the process of being eaten as they were fossilized but it was a very dramatic event so right. it must have been an awkward experience for all three of them but the point being made is this we can't know 
as much as what's advertised, both on the creationist side and the evolutionist side, based on fossil records alone. So if we're looking for evidence in the fossil record, even if we had it, it wouldn't be conclusive. Be very careful in giving this kind of weight when people on TV say, well, we can clearly tell from the fossil record that the, the Velociraptor had feathers. Well, it was small, maybe the size comparable of a chicken, but just because their hips are positioned a certain way doesn't mean that you can prove they turned into birds. But they need a transitional species to prove Darwinism. Talk more about this in the philosophy uh, and, I guess, bad logic influences on society lessons that we talked about with Peter Martin. Feel free to leave uh, a comment on those if you want further clarification. We can deal with that on another time. But this is the issue. Be careful and saying, well, the fossil record should show this. No, fossil records couldn't show that, and if they could, maybe they'd be a bit skinny at times, but that would all that we could glean as far as a diet is concerned. Why do we make conclusions about diets? Because of two big assumptions that aren't even necessarily in the text. Be careful with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's always better to read out of the text than read into the text, and uh, we've always got to be on guard for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You mentioned uh, Answers in Genesis, this website. You want to say a few words about that, Sean? Um, uh, they're good people. <laughs> they uh, don't <laughs> mind criticism. They're surrounded by people who are not necessarily uh, experts in their field, but very well educated, very balanced. Uh, they made the cardinal blunder in the uh, educated community of allowing the existence of dissenting opinions and then answering them rather than just assuming their position and filming an echo chamber. Um, the Ark Encounter Museum is a fantastic resource for children, and I think that if they want to have a counterbalance to what they'll be hearing nonstop from public education, uh, that it is a good alternative and a, a very uh, engaging zoo-like experience. Yeah. Um, I'd say Ken Ham is a fantastic individual. Keep him in prayer uh, because he's passing off the torch to a new generation. Mm. Uh, Answers in Genesis Canada has a lot of good social media activity, and I think you can benefit from that as well very good yeah. thanks for that awesome. yeah that's the end of our show today thank you so much for your questions we'll be back same time same place tomorrow have a great rest of your evening thank you for being with us on reason for hope you've been listening to a reason for hope thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through god's word one question of the heart at a time until we meet again we would love to connect with you you can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.